second installment of Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Context is for kings, and this show is for that. Uh, This week, we're tackling the third episode of Star Trek Discovery. Here, there be spoilers. Also, here, there be monsters, uh, which is kind of a spoiler, actually. Our thinking on this show is that you've seen the episodes of Discovery as we go. And if you haven't, and you don't want to know what's going to happen, turn back now before it's too late. Uh, For those of you not joining us live, we are doing this live every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for the duration of Discovery's run right here on Facebook Live. If you would like the audio-only version of this show, we have that for you. Well, not yet, because we're doing it now, but we will. We release a premiere episode of this show into our regular podcast feed, but we're now launching a dedicated feed for Mission Log Live. You can look us up on iTunes probably later tonight, certainly by tomorrow, or wherever you download podcasts, and we will link to the audio at facebook.com slash missionlogpod, and of course, that'll be available as well at missionlogpodcast.com. Hey, a quick thank you to everyone who's watching now. In fact, Ken, while you were just doing that, we have hellos. Uh, Bruce says, uh, hey, John, and uh, he even says, sup, Ken. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you'll be glad to hear that. Um, Aaron Harvey's joining us, Mike Lawrence, all the way from Ottawa, Canada. So nice to see some uh, friendly faces there. Um, and thank you to those of you who are watching or listening after the live broadcast. Uh, this show is all about you. Ken and I will have our notes in just a second, and then we want to hear from you. It's all about your opinions and questions. And of course, there are a few ways that you can get in touch with us to let you know what you think. Uh, You can click the link in the comments to join the Zoom video call. Excuse me, that's the Zoom video call, or you can call 323-522-5641. The number's so nice, we say it twice, 323-522-5641. Enter the conference number on the screen right now. Now, those links do change uh, for each episode that we do. So check back each week for the right one. And you can also email us, uh, missionlog at roddenberry.com. That's if you have a thought, but you know you're not going to be able to make the live show, but you have something you want to share with us, some thought you want to get out there, uh, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Do want to let people know we do have a guest coming up in a little bit. Uh, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek, will be here to sort of give us some of his thoughts on Discovery in these early days. And then um, it's my week to recap, right, John? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to do the recap. But but before you get to that, I just I have to share this, that uh, Michael in the Facebook chat, he said, um, I made a call check the Night Stalker reference at work the other day. Nobody else got it. It was awesome. <laughs> Bless you, Michael. <laughs> well done. Well done. Our, our second yes. episode of Mission Log Live, and we're already dropping in the Colchak the Night Stalker references. Yeah, so, our uh, Colchak the Night Stalker live podcast, by the way, never going to happen. All right. <laughs> Recapping context is for Kings. Uh, Michael Burnham and a few other prisoners are being transferred to a mining operation, but trouble befalls the transport shuttle. Thankfully, a brand new ship, NCC-1031, the USS Discovery, is there to save them. On board, Michael Burnham meets Captain Gabriel Lorca and his first officer, Saru, as seen in the pilot. Uh, She also meets Cadet Sylvia Tilly, a young, nervous Starfleet type, and Lieutenant Paul Stamets, Stamets? Stamets, a science officer who is none too happy about serving in a war and none too happy about having Burnham thrust into his department. 
Uh, bad news. The Discovery sister ship, the Glenn, has had an incident. The entire crew was lost. And now Discovery has to go and get what the Glenn was working on. Stamets will lead the team, which includes Burnham. On the way, he opens her eyes to a bit of what they're actually doing. The universe isn't physics and biology. It's physics as biology. Also, he's really not happy about working for the war, and he really doesn't like Lorca. On the Glen, all sorts of dead people. Starfleet, hmm, Starfleet crew, excuse me, seems to have been killed in an accident. Klingons, yeah, lots of dead Klingons, seem to have been killed by some sort of monster. A beast that, hey, just killed the last living Klingon. It's cool, though. Stamets and the crew get the tech, and they get away uh, right before the beast gets them. Back on Discovery, Captain Lorca invites Burnham to join Discovery as part of his crew. She says no, though once he shows her what they're actually working on, a way to travel vast distances almost instantaneously, she can't refuse. Oh, and remember the monster from the Glen? Yeah, Lorca's brought that onto Discovery. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> well done. Well done, Ken. So it sounds like it's probably about time to bring in our special guest. You mentioned that it was uh, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek himself. So, uh, Larry, are you there for us? I hope I am. There he I is, mean, Larry. Are, I like the branding in the background, by the way. We've well uh, we've uh, we've un- unjammed the Romulan subspace jammers that we don't know about yet in this timeline. So nice in this nice. era. So thank you guys for having me in. This is uh, fun. Yes, discovery. Wow. I'm spooling. You you've uh, you've been watching Discovery, right? I think you're, yes, you're yes, aware I've, of this new Star Trek show. I yeah. I've wedged in time for it. Yes. Very good. <laughs> I want to jump right into a question that I think it's something that I've been wondering about now only in episode 3 I know, but what do you make of our lead character Michael Burnham? And and I guess what I'm wondering is are you able to put her in context with, you know, any of the Star Trek characters that we've encountered uh in this past? Well, Saru, who appears to be a great judge of people, says she's the smartest person in Starfleet, or at least in his you know, recollection or his ability to uh, break into personnel records th- across the whole fleet. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of pieces. Um, as, as much as I was into the, eh, I wish they were doing more with the uniform, you know, some of the surface features about the show, the more we have gone along, because it's Star Trek, and the more that I want everything to fit, and because that's what I've done for 30 years, yeah, all kinds of pieces of the pilot and the first episode, the story, the story so far, are bringing up memories of Trek's past. I mean, the whole thing about Burnham being a criminal that a captain comes and liberates just because they shouldn't be languishing in prison is Janeway in Paris. Only what was a 10-minute scene there to get on with the rest of the story didn't turn into the, the Tom Paris you know, saga. It wasn't a two-hour pilot and then became – you know he wasn't the focus of, of Voyager. So – some of these story elements and, and some other things that came out in um, even in the third episode. But yeah, a lot of these pieces, um, a lot of these pieces, we, again, we get all under the new thing and people, some people get, have a really bad head case, but when you take a breath and sit back and look about it, it's, it's all been there before It all, most everything fits easily. And then the parts that are seemingly new are what the story is all about. And if they were known, they wouldn't be a mystery and a secret. And you know, getting you to come back and tune in every week. Well, let me approach this question from a a little bit of a different angle. So not just specifically Michael Burnham, but 
what in Discovery overall, we, we've seen the three episodes so mm-hmm. far, um, are you finding to be the most Trek-like? You know, are, are there are there themes? Are there? I, we, we know there are little references, and we kind of talked about right. some of those last right. week. We'll talk about more this week. Right. But, but in the overall feel and the overall theme, are you finding things that are Trek-like? And then wh- what do you think is the least Trek-like? Uh, maybe you're having a difficult time swallowing. The... In episode three, the, well, some uh, aside from a couple of physical things, which I have no doubt are going to be resolved, but as far as conceptual and just the moments that stick out, like in episode three, uh, Landry's coarse language. And we know that Lorca, we've already been told in advance, and we quickly see it on screen, that Lorca's not exactly your typical Starfleet captain. Basically, episode three for me unleashed a whole flood of how atypical is Discovery is the rest of the fleet like the beloved Captain Georgiou and her well, well run, well staffed by the book Starfleet, you know, vessel and is discovery really an outlier. And who was, we didn't see the captain of the Glen. One thing we should say was that Stamets and his research soulmate, not his spouse, (laughs) but his research soulmate since school was doing twin study with him on the two ships. And the Glen went afoul because they were pushing their research further and faster and apparently paid for it. Um, Were they in the same kind of a vibe from their captain as Lorca is here? Is he really unique? They're both obviously pushing this new technology in the war effort. Um, The whole dark tone that's, that's turned some people off and then I immediately go back to DS9. This feels like deja vu from some of the war stories from deja vu. But some of the individual characters like Lorca and like Landry and getting a little bit of that, wow, these are darker characters of Starfleet, made me stop and kind of go back in my haunches and go, no, wait a minute. I think the, the numerics of fandom now think of Star Trek, and I think Next Generation holds a lot of sway there. But if we go back... <laughs> I was doing this today, and I did this on Trekland uh, Tuesday Live today. If we go back and think about the original series, think about not just Starfleet, but think about the few ordinary civilians we saw. The, the miners on Rigel 12, the even a little bit more sophisticated miners on Janus 6. Some of the civilians um, aren't, aren't maybe the best. Maybe Starfleet is the best of the best, and maybe the Enterprise crew and the Constitution-class crews are the best of the best and is hopeful and aspirational in our beloved Trek Roddenberry vision optimism that that is, maybe there are still some folks who are a little bit, you know, left behind. And if you think about it that way, I mean, even Spock yelled in the cage. (laughs) Um, And maybe when we think about that way, maybe in the 23rd century, we put our heads back into Kirk's time on the original 1701. Some of these personal choices, some of these darker corners of personal behavior and things we're seeing even out of vaunted Starfleet aren't so out of line. Um, yeah, the, the mess hall is feels mess holly. Tilly having having roommates kind of went, oh, well, Garavik was in his own bunk. But then in flashback, um, there, we saw bunk baits. So, you know, things can depend on the ship. Things can depend on the situation. So um, that creature, though, Wow. And Lorca and his zoo fetish. That's that's really interesting. Not wrong, just really, you know, intriguing. Again, again, the things that uh, seem nothing seems wrong, wrong to me. It's all seems interpretable. There's an interesting thing. And as you were talking, I, I started to think more about um, Stamets 
I mean, he is, he is sort of the idealism, you know, like uh, this is science and we were doing science and now we're having to work for this war right. and he's angry about it. I mean, there's almost, there's almost an irascibility. I mean, that's, that's not quite bones. It's not quite Pulaski, but I mean, he's got this idea of how things should be. And now he's angry. What's weird though, is in TNG, especially you had people who were like, Oh no, this is what's right. And so they were always the right characters doing the right thing. And they were, they were likable. They were approachable. And Stamets is not approachable. He's saying the right stuff. He's doing the right mm-hmm. thing. And he's also, get away from me. Just, just shut up and get away. <laughs> which, is, which is a weird thing to see from your, well, it's from a little, your now most we're Starfleet into, character so far. Right. In, now that we're into this vibe, I'm trying to remember if he was civilian or Starfleet. Bless me. But it's a little, that's a little Paul Stubbsian um, you know, he was working on his beloved in early next generation. Um, is it? Uh, oh, my gosh. Early, early. Uh, the Wesley, the, the Wesley. Uh, oh, good grief. Early season show where he's protecting his science experiment. And but it's also um, a little Mark Marcus, David Marcusy, where he's talking about the military taking away our science project. Mm-hmm. A oh, little bit a of point. a vibe from that. So, yeah. I mean. What's really what I've really gotten back. We were rusty. We, we talked about being 12 years in the wilderness here, but what we were really rusty on is thinking about the loopholes and the, the canon that goes against the grain. And this is, it's not all settled into this nice rosy picture that all makes sense. And it's all perfect. We've done that with sentimentality in the years going by. And when a lot of these things that what I see is an issue in discovery and I go, wait a minute. I mean, the first thing I try to think of is, is there even an ex- one, one exception in all of 51 years, you know, that this could, this could be roped around. And so far, aside from trying to figure out what the hell that monster thing is, um, which could be anything. Uh, I'm, I'm really, it's surprising me how many, how many little stubs throughout the texture of, of the background there is, there are that, that you could rope some of these things too. They're not that far off. If we go back and, you know, get out of our ruts of, of, of Pollyanna thinking and go back and really think about some of the exceptions to the rule that we've seen. And some of them not so exceptional, some of them popping up over and over, like some of these things we're talking about here, individual characters, but Stamets aside from be, maybe he's bones like in that he was crusty to her, but then when he's mm-hmm. talking to his old best friend, he's just the nicest guy in the world. Right. So, well, we like our they're, friends. Definitely. They're old. They're old beer buds or whatever. But right. <laughs> but then he turned and he did finally deign to explain to her. He got off his high horse and put it in language yeah. when he, you know, when she she kind of had to earn her respect. But again, she's coming off as the mutineer. So you know, people have to get over that, get over that hump. But then everything I've said goes on its ear. That last five minute bit where you go. How much of this was Lorca's plan, and how much was Landry in it, and was she just being hateful to those prisoners just to put on a show for Burnham because it was all a big test, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Larry. Oh, no, go ahead, Ken. No, no, go ahead, John, please. Well, I I wanted to throw some uh, listener comments your way, Larry. Oh, great. Yeah. Field some of those. So uh, Morgan (laughs) says, um, I don't like that the graphic violence means that I'm uneasy watching it with my eight year old. That feels Mm. very different from other Trek. Any uh, feelings or thoughts about that? Well, they they told us that this would not be Game of Thrones, and the violence that we've seen is not there. Uh, we had the fight in the mess hall, and we had – I mean, if you, if you go back and still frame it, they're doing a, a good old Star Trek, good old network TV masterful job of making you think you're seeing what you're not actually seeing. They're often on those dead bodies very quickly. There's not any oh, really – you know – 
Huh? Not quick. Not quick enough. No oh, way. okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I think, yeah, I think pretty, honestly, that was the pans. That was pretty gory. Well, maybe I'm thinking in, ter- in comparison to Game of Thrones, which it's not there yet. It's not the slow motion, slow motion blood flow. But true. Um, no, you don't. You don't. But see, that's you been, don't that's a bit of concern. His Morgan's concern is true. A lot of people have been really worried. Can I sit down with my kids and watch this trek? Uh, and I guess that's what the MA. I was worried, wondering where the MA rating was coming from, and maybe I'm. It's been a while since I've had young kids. Maybe I'm looking right past that. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who has kids actually, and she was saying the same thing. It's not something that she would feel comfortable based on and not based on the fight in the in the mess hall, because, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. But I mean, there were a couple of there were a couple of long shots on some some fairly gruesome stuff. Uh, did you have another did you have another uh, listener comment that you wanted to throw Larry's way, John? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Dave, David William. Hey, Dr. Says, uh, yeah. Uh, one fan blog I read. I, I'm sorry. One fan blog I read today suggested Cadet Tilly might be on the autism spectrum based on her special needs comment and her behavior while talking with Burnham. That would definitely add more representation of another group to the show. Comments agree, disagree. Could be. I, I'm, it's not my area of specialty, but uh, they they definitely pushed her in a direction where she's just not the cookie cutter cadet. I enjoyed seeing her little cadet badge with the four bars like she was a senior <laughs> doing her senior intern. But um, it could be. They've definitely pushed her that way. I just wondered how if it's all if her story is all about being insecure and some of her her personality, you know, behavioral issues coming out. Or if she's really, if Lorca's plan is really just uh, Lorca and Landry and very few, if, you know, how many others in the crew are in on whatever it is that's going on? Is it a need to know? And is it so far only two? Um, because I get the feel Stamets is doing his research, but it feels like he's not in on the whole, whole, whole picture. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just vibing that. But I don't, I don't think Tilly's, you know, the, the, the mess hall group that we saw observing what was going on today that were a little somewhere between standoffish and just weirded out. I, I get the feeling that they're not all in on, maybe you have to be a black badge <laughs> to be in on the, be in on the plot. Um, but yeah, Tilly, it totally could be Tilly could be yeah. representing that population. I, I don't know that they'll ever put a name on it. If they'll specifically, mm-hmm. find, but, but I like the idea that she is different, that she's a little awkward. And to me, she, Plays pretty real. You know, she's very young. Uh, had this gone another direction and they just decided, well, we're going to put a kid on the show. You end up with another, you know, Wesley 2.0, which right. I think would be very divisive. Uh, but there, there's something very innocent about Tilly. Um, and the the discomfort that she has is, is sort of endearing. I think they we've only seen a little bit of her so far, but I think they've played it well. So I don't know how much more will be revealed about her. I assume we got, well, 13 more episodes, 12 more episodes, episodes to go right now in this season. So who knows? I thought, I thought one of the most endearing parts of the whole episode were, and I didn't realize until I, again, I put myself back instead of as a young parent, put myself back as like at a, at a new job for the first time mm-hmm. and all of her insecurities boiling up first on the college level with the dorm, the dorm roommate kind of thing. But then even at the workplace where she says, this, I'm sorry, we have assigned seats. <laughs> and he says, it's not like we have assigned seats. And, she, and Burnham just keeps staring at her. And all she could do is, I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. I almost screwed up. You know, and it's, I just thought for everybody who's in their first job, like right out of college, 
or their internship, I thought, wow, that's got to be that's that's ringing home again. I was trying to remember, you know, what that was like. And I just thought that those moments, the way they the beats went down, that they really played just for something that had nothing to do with the, you know, the top five arcs of the show was a really, really nice little moment between the two of them. And I hope it's not something that's going to be wasted in the flow of the show. I hope there's a lot of payoff to the whole Burnham Tilly and Tilly's personal story. Well, it's funny. Our listener, Steve, just said, don't forget, Tilly was pretty badass on the Glen. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. right. and the other thing that cracked me up about that scene on the Glen is you're introduced to a new character in that landing party. And sure enough, that's a character that just gets killed right away. Because <laughs> you knew that was coming. What was it, Olsen? I can't remember the name. Well, it's, it's, it's bronze with a reddish tinge, if you look real close. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming. You just absolutely knew it. I'd say that was a pretty classic Star Trek trope that you had to have right away to remind people that they're watching Star Trek. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, you know, anything yeah. else before we, uh, before we say goodnight to Dr. Trek? Well, I guess I have a question, and I don't want it to be, well, not competitive, because that's not the right word anyway. Is there, uh, I don't know how to ask this. Okay, Trekland. You know, that was it, Ken. 40, 4047, Dr. Trek, it's in your name, it's in what you do. Is there room for you to not like this show? I mean, are you are you committed, are you so committed to Trek at this point that you're going to love it no matter what? Or, or, or are you able to come to it and say, let's see what this is? Or are you like, I'm going to find a way to like this because it's been 12 years and I want my Trek back? I want to like it. It's been 12 years. This is what's happening. But at the same time, I have always, I mean, I have my, uh, I've always said the Trek series are like encyclopedias on the shelf. It's not like you're just going to not, you're just, I'm sorry, I don't like the M volume and I'm going to throw it away. And I'm talking about encyclopedias in dead tree media form kids. Right. Um, when you had things on a shelf besides, you know, DVD boxes. Um But that that tiny shark, don't break them. Um, But that said, I have plenty of criticisms, especially of Voyager, especially of Enterprise, as they went by, and ups and downs, and pointed out. I got accused a few months ago online of of never saying anything negative about Trek, which that's not true. But the other thing is, what's what's worthwhile? What does the most good? Is there constructive? criticism and are you in the are you in the flow right now or is it 20 years ago and nothing you can say right now is going to help anything unless it is what i enjoy doing what i've done in my column what i've done for years which is gap filling and smoothing and then we have the term retconning and trying to smooth things out and uh and, and that's that's what that's the last resort of if you really have a criticism of something go like i said go find the texture go find you know, the gap, but no, 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 I'm really committed. And in fact, the longer I'm absorbed by and exposed to, uh, discovery, the, the more my fears go away or the, the more my uncomfortabilities are going away. And I'm really, I'm really wanting to see the whole 15 episode arc for some of the things I've heard coming down the line. So yeah, I'm feeling better about it now than I was three or four months ago. How about that? And don't misunderstand that was not accusing you of anything. John and I have had the same discussion about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, I mean, we, I mean, we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> so it would be good if we liked it. I mean, that said, we're trying to, you know, we're trying yeah. to watch it with the, the same critical eye that we watch uh, stuff for mission log. No, well. but it, it, it's a, fl- anytime, anytime I get a red flag about discovery, I go, no, wait a minute. 
Has this existed before? I was talking about the miners and the general level of, of, uh, of civilization, even on Earth, much less the Federation at large. Uh, this is only 10 years after Kodos, the executioner on Tarsus IV, mm-hmm. 10 years-ish. And, and 10 years later, we would still have, you know, I think it was kind of PTSD uh, evoked, but we'd have, you know, Lieutenant Stiles erupting on the bridge. There's no room on my bridge for prejudice, mister. I mean, you know, so it's like sometimes it's these things are great to go back and reexamine those pat little tropes and memes that we think we have all stuck away on the shelf. But no, open that box up and go, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, the best thing that this in, in embracing discovery. That's the good. It's actually making me go back and reexamine, especially original series and then next gen to a lesser degree. Some of those things we just assumed were all shiny and smooth. And they're not as shiny and smooth as we remember them being. So that's my kudos to Discovery. Aside from just being mysterious. And uh, <laughs> Nicely said. I mean, I, one of our listeners says, are the producers ignoring canon? Not saying whether that's good or bad. Tribbles, Cardassian, Vol, Obelisk, uh, On a Moon of Andoria, etc. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very clear that the, the producers have canon in mind but they can tell a different story at the same time. And I also feel like this is so early in the process. This is so new and they're clearly playing a long game. You know, they're they're just setting the stage. Now episodes one and two are a prologue episode three. We meet discovery. We meet the captain of discovery. We've got a long way to go before we Mm -hmm. figure out how all these characters are going to interact, what their true roles are in this and what is to be revealed about them. So, uh, yes, thank yeah. you for that. Some of those yeah. things he mentioned, I, I'm very cognizant of, like, the triple there, but it's like that, that giant creature. Like, if that is a little Gorn skeleton, if that was a vole there. On, I didn't know if – I was hoping it was a vole, but I didn't know for sure. I didn't know if it was a baby Klingon thing like Kruge had in Star Trek III uh, sitting on the side of the desk. But, mm-hmm. my God, if the Ferengis can stay a secret because no one got their name for 200 years um, until real first contact, and they were up walking, up running around and talking – um, I'm I'm willing to let some of these things be completely. It's a it's a very bizarre universe, and they're hop they're doing experiments where they're hopping in and out of places in a moment, and uh, and I'm up for if if Lorca is like a collector that's keeping this not a not a Telosian zookeeper, <laughs> almost more like a Kivas Fajo kind of you know collector collector only not for the value just because it's organic life which that whole that whole little hobby fetish whatever that is it's got to play into this also mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. but the fact that he's got one-off examples of critters and things that maybe we don't know in a we don't have a full dossier on them yet that's that's okay fine because again that's the weird little bits of texture that's what people truly on the frontier would be doing they would have the oddball thing before it's been cataloged back home so i'm i'm still good with all of that and having it be intriguing. What, what got me was wondering if the whole biophysics overlap, the way that was demonstrated about going to places in an instant and back, it, I, I was trying to look and see if any, I know not on air, but if, if uh, Star Trek Online or anybody else had, had fleshed out the actual mechanics of exactly how the Iconian gateways work. Mm-hmm. And, not, and the Iconian gateways are hundreds of years old, thousands of years old. Hundreds at this of point. thousands, even. hundreds yeah. of thousands. Yeah. But maybe this is maybe what they're getting at here is some kind of an underlying concept that is that's, you know, that's that is fueling that technology or that 
biotechnology, whatever it is. Anyway, just an idea. I, that's that's immediately what sprung to mind when they were zooming back and forth to places they'd known and only wondered about. Um, anyway, fun to see. It's all going to unravel as we uh, unspool as we go along. It's got right. me coming back. Awesome, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Sure thing, guys. Thank you, and and uh, good luck here on your sophomore voyage. All right, and many and many more. <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. All right. So soon enough, everybody, we are going to get to your calls and comments. Uh, again, check out that link right below the video, and you can join us on the Zoom call, uh, Zoom video chat, or you can give us a call on your good old-fashioned telephone. Uh, Ken, you and I both took a handful of notes, uh, as we are wont to do here at Mission Log. Um, So uh, just a few initial thoughts about the show, and this is really the stuff we want to get into with our listeners. Um, So I'll go first. I've got just a few here. Um, I I felt like there is a distinct break between uh, the introduction that we got to Captain Giorgio and how she is as a captain and how she treats her crew, a really big break between that and Lorca. I felt like Lorca, his command style, is indeed keeping his crew at odds with each other. Like that, That's sort of his deal. That's the way he operates. Absolutely the polar opposite of the relationship that we described between Giorgio and uh, Burnham and Saru last week. Um, I also feel like he's got Landry on his side with that and that Mm. she'll do anything for him. I think there's a lot more to this Landry. uh, Yeah. The, the, this sort of Landry Lorca relationship um, to be revealed. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but um, I think there's something there. To Uh, me, actually the, the biggest stuff that came out of this episode are, well, some of the biggest things anyway, are trying to figure out uh, Lorca and just what a different sort of creature he is. Like the fact that he admits in the end that he did get Michael Burnham on the ship intentionally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's go back through how that happened. He pulled strings to get her out of prison. That's fine. But then he introduced um, an, an event to the shuttle that ended up costing the shuttle pilot uh, her life. And that's Okay. Because Lorca had something that he wanted to do, and that's the thing that he did. Um, that's reinforced when Stamets says, if Lorca wants you here, your desires are less than moat. This is, not, this is not a Starfleet captain like we've seen to this point, I would say. And then the third yeah. thing, and this was, this was probably, in a way, kind of the most chilling as far as the captain of the Discovery, which is what the show is called, uh, Lorca standing there watching the destruction of the Glen because, of course, they can't fall into the wrong hands. And he says, and the USS Glen is no more. Landry says, uh, sad to see a ship like that go. And Lorca says, just a ship. Yeah. I'm sorry. Are you a Starfleet captain? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to me, like, the different things that they're introducing about this character. And, of course, I'd be curious to find out um, what other people think about it, too. We should remind people again... Uh, how to get in touch with us, by the way. There's a link uh, in the thing that you are watching right now that has a link to a Zoom room, and that will get you on, like video on with us. If you'd rather not do that, but you'd like to have your voice be heard, our phone number is 323-522-5641. That phone number again, 323-522-5641. And then there will be prompts and things to do there, but we'll be able to hear you and so will everyone else. 
And uh, of course, you can leave comments in uh, Facebook as well, which we will get to in a second. I think we have a little bit of business to do, though, don't we, Mr. Champion? Oh, do we have a little business? A little, I little think business we have a little bit of business to, to do. Yeah. 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 Our yeah. friends at, uh, at Eagle Moss, man, they're really on top of stuff, right? Because you know about, you know, the, the little ships from TOS and from you know, other series that we've had. We're, we're three episodes in and they've got Discovery Starships coming your way. Yeah. Uh, these, of course, are the officially authorized CBS, uh, authorized by CBS, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection available only from Eagle Boss Collections. Uh, you might have heard us mention Ben Robinson, the Star Trek expert for Eagle Moss. Well, this special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from Star Trek Discovery. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. Now, the first thing you'll notice when you get the Shenzhou, because yes, you can, NCC1227, the Shenzhou, uh, it's the larger size. It's about eight inches. Uh, John, if you actually have that one that you yep, could well, hold up. This what, is I not have is, uh, what I have is the Franklin. So right, but this will give you an idea of the that's, size. That's about the size, yeah. So bigger than that's, the actual uh, uh, subscription size, about four inches or so. Yeah. Right. So, so if John will keep holding that up and show you all the new ships in this special series are this larger scale, uh, but they're still cast in a specially formulated metallic resin. They're still hand painted with reference to the actual CG models used in the production. Uh, each ship does, of course, come with a display base plus a collector's magazine. These are like, seriously, I almost like the magazines as much as I like the ships because they give you information about how they were designed. They give you information about how they were put together. And then, of course, they actually do uh, they do some in-universe stuff as well. Yeah. So with limited quantities coming in early 2018, now is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Uh, the ship itself will be sent to you on or before January 31st, 2018. Uh, new models will then ship monthly and will be delivered directly to your door. Subscribers also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every Starship in the series, along with free shipping. You may cancel your subscription at any time, so it is completely risk-free to you. For details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, uh, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships that website again eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships and just like i said last week uh, a big huge thanks to them for uh for sponsoring mission log live we have comments in facebook do we have comments in facebook that you want to hit sir because <laughs> i'm I keep seeing you or me move around on the screen and I get distracted. Well, it's funny. Uh, Chris asks us, uh, what if I confuse my Eagle Moss ship with my Blue Apron shipment? And um, I'm sorry, that, that's all that is on you. So, yeah, yeah, they're not they're not edible, the starships. I mean, you can try it. Yeah, but I wouldn't. Yeah, it's just not a good idea at all. Steve has an interesting comment. Uh, he says there seems to be similarities between Lorca and Jellico command styles. Not identical approaches, but similar. Yeah, hmm. I, I might agree with that. He's, he's tough. He's hard. Yeah. 
Yeah, Jellico, remind me, they weren't even in a war situation, though, were they? I mean, no. I'm not saying that everything is forgivable just because you're at war. But I mean, at the very least, what what Lorca does say and is true is we're at war. I mean, it's fascinating. I think maybe that's part of where I don't know where I'm getting bones off Stamets. I think it's just because he has an idea of how things should be. And Lorca is is just not interested at all in hearing it. I'm not getting Kirk off off Lorca by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, uh, but I am. Uh, I am, of course. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's going to be more to Stamets. The first time I watched it, I found his character kind of annoying. And the more I watched it, the more I, I the more sympathy I had for his character because, I mean, like everybody on that ship, actually. I mean, even the prisoners said when they came on board, "This doesn't look like a uh, an exploration vessel." or a science vessel rather. And, um, you know, certainly that's what Stamet signed up for. He didn't sign up for what he ended up with. Oh, very, very true. Um, oh, <laughs> so a couple of people are asking about uh, the shuttle pilot, uh, shuttle pod pilot. Uh, we're, we're calling mm-hmm. her Barb. Um, I did we actually hear <laughs> the episode because we, we've got pilot Barb now. Yeah. Well, they're calling her Barb because of stranger things, right? Oh, are they? Oh, okay. See, I, I, I didn't know. I, I wouldn't. Call yeah, a, Barb yeah. was a Barb was the friend in Stranger Things who was basically the one who was writing along with the character whose name I can't even remember. Barb became like a like a like a forgotten hero in Stranger Things because she disappeared in I think episode two, okay. and <laughs> that's 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 it. Well, the question hey, I see is, we have a go, go ahead. ahead. I say the, the, the question is uh, so the shuttle pilot is definitely dead. That bothered me two seconds later. The disco saves the shuttle. No love for shuttle pilot Barb. Um, I, I didn't think it was necessarily orchestrated by Lorca, but I wouldn't put it past him because there's a lot that we don't know about Lorca. And uh, Dave then says, R.I.P. Barb. Yeah, I know. It was sad to see her go. But yeah, I would say she is definitely dead. I okay. also, honestly, I, it would not surprise me if we find out that those prisoners actually never got to where they were going either. He eliminated a witness by getting rid of the uh, by getting rid of the pilot. Yeah, that's not true. saying. Not saying, just saying. Hey, we have a video caller. All right. Who do we have here? I believe we have Chris coming up. Our old friend, Chris. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Hey, Ken. Hey, John. Hey, nice to see you, man. How are things? Hey, see you guys. You're going good. Uh, back up in Oregon for college. So, yeah, this is Excellent. the dorm room. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, I, I take it you've been watching Discovery. I have. I have been watching Discovery. It's a shocker. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I actually wanted to jump in on your guys' conversation. You were talking about Lorca and some of the vibes you got off him. You guys seem to be getting some, like, darker vibes, and I get that. But I actually seem to be getting, like, uh, what I call, like, late DS9 Cisco vibes. Like, to me, Lorca seems like this guy who's, like, he's in this war, and he doesn't really want to fight the war, but he's like, well, I'm in the war, so I'm going to give 110% to make it stop. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I'd like to think that. I mean, I would say there are, there are a couple of things working against that for me personally. And of course, I don't know. I mean, we're on episode three and I think we've, we've, we've met him once for like for all, less than 40 minutes at this point. Um, I think the thing that works against that for me is Jason Isaacs is almost always a bad guy and he's a really good guy. <laughs> you want a bad guy, that's who you go for. Uh, at the same time, I want to believe that our starship captains are good people. Because, you know, they have been. Once he makes Admiral, he can be as big a jerk as he wants to be. Yeah. Or Commodore. But uh, but you want your captain to be, 
I mean, it sort of goes back to what, what I was saying to John too, though. I mean, it's a time of war and you're right. Maybe that's, maybe that's what he's dealing with right now. That's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. Was there something else that you saw that made you think that's who he is or are you just sort of vibes? Like, yeah, he seems like he's a jerk and I bet you he's a jerk all the time, but he didn't seem like evil. He seemed, he see almost, he did, he did seem very like sort of inspired and in awe by the, mushroom transporter whatever and i was like okay maybe you actually do like this for the cool science of it and not he's just like okay well i'm gonna use this to my advantage because i want the war to end i don't know just sort of vibes well it's interesting along those lines one of our listeners just wrote in and said um i was very afraid that the show is going to be a fight between Lorca and burnham from the season preview, but I was happily surprised that Lorca had respect for Burnham, even if it's just to use her talents at this point. So we are seeing there's some antagonism, but there's also a respect there. I I absolutely love, Lorca's got the best lines in this show, just hands down. And I love that bit where he uh, asks Saru about Burnham. And Saru says, you know, the <laughs> smartest Starfleet officer I've ever worked with. And he looks at Stamets and says, and he knows you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. fantastic. So, yeah, there, there is this kind of odd sort of respect. And, and maybe it is this weird command style of breaking him down and building him back up. But then he's got people like Landry to sort of, you know, crack the whip to be an even harder hard ass than, uh, than he might be. <laughs> so... Yeah. The other the other thing I would say really quickly, and again, I mean, we should actually think about selling a home game, John, so that we can talk about the fact that we're playing the home game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm. I mean, I get a dark vibe off Lurka, but I'm not saying that he is evil necessarily. I mean, I it it is quite possible that we're, what we're going to end up with is a guy who you know did what he did because he believed it was right. Mm-hmm. And we still may have some questions in the end. I mean, last week, John and I were talking about not being sure whether um, Captain Giorgio did the right thing, not being sure whether Michael Burnham did the right thing or wanted to do the right thing. And we may get to the end of this. And whether we're pulling for Lorca or not, we may not know whether he did the right thing. We may we may have the kind of moral conundrum that we all, you know, feed on, <laughs> at, least, at least Camp Mission Log, about, um, you know, whether he whether he did the right thing or not. Well, it isn't that, though, kind of something that we've been dealing with a lot, whether it was TOS or, and certainly in Next Gen, as a number of people who do something that is questionable um, morally, ethically, but they were right in the end, so they sort of get a free pass. Mm, yes. I mean, I think we're dealing with that on a very different scale here to very different degrees. Um, Michael Burnham started a war. She mutinied. Uh, Lorca apparently were setting him up as somebody who will go to great lengths, questionable lengths to, uh, to achieve his goal, which is the end of the war. Now, whether ending the war for him means having a, uh, a nice peaceful stalemate or utter destruction, we don't know that either. But, uh, but he, he's somebody who's driven at least by this idea of, of the, the mission being of utmost importance. And, uh, and if he's right, he's right. Question is, does he get a pass at the end? Um, cool. So let's see. Oh, somebody less uh, in our listener group here says uh, Lorca is admiral material. And yeah, you absolutely. know, <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So uh, any other thoughts for us here, uh, Chris? Uh, 
Not really. Uh, it's been really good so far. You know, everyone's uh, Martin Green's killing it. Isaacs is killing it. Doug Jones is super killing it under all the Saru makeup. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. I'm hopeful. It's we're looking good so far. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate yeah. it. Hope to see you again soon. Totally. All right. Take care. Have a good yeah. one. Wait. Uh, we do have a few more minutes if people do want to get on with us as well. Uh, it, I, well, you can't be listening and not know how to do it. So click the Zoom link <laughs> down at the bottom. And if you are listening and don't know how to do it, uh, that would be uh, facebook.com slash mission log pod is the way to join us live every week. And then, of course, uh, we do have a phone number as well. If you, uh, if you don't want to be on screen, but you want to like, have your voice be heard, 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. I uh, have to give a shout out to Aaron Harvey. Did you notice, by the way, the whole thing, like her reciting Alice in Wonderland and all that stuff? Yes. Right. Did you see what Aaron, what Aaron had posted? It turns I, did, out, I, I didn't make the connection until Aaron posted that. And that is right. specific and so right on. Yeah. Spock actually talked in the animated series about the fact that his mother, Amanda Grayson, um, was a fan of Lewis Carroll. And of course, that was what uh, that was what Michael Burnham was talking about with Tilly as well. At the end, she, you know, first of all, I'm horrified that Tilly was amazed that Michael Burnham was holding an actual physical book. But <laughs> then, you know, she has the whole thing about uh, about um, about how her her foster mother, her stepmother, her mother—I can't remember what she said—her adopted mother uh, used to read uh, Alice in Wonderland to her. And um, I like when you go deep for your for your for your callback. Because that's an incredibly deep callback that I way missed. Of course, Aaron does a show about uh, about uh, the animated series, or in part about the animated series, yep. actually about Star Trek through the seventies. So uh, if he had missed that, actually, he'd probably have to turn in his keys. Right, <laughs> that would be Saturday morning <laughs> Trek. On, right um, on Trek FM. Trek FM. So yeah, yeah excellent. Um, interesting. We have uh, Vince who says Captain Lorca reminds me of Admiral Marcus from Into Darkness. In that the yeah. war is what drives him. The crew and the ship are just means to an end. All else is expendable. Um, y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with you there, Vince. Um, we also have, uh, let's see, Tim saying, I'm still warming up to the new Trek discovery. It did take me a while to get used to the new rebooted movies. Sure. I get it. I think it's going to take us all uh, time to warm up to to figure out where they're going. But I think that's kind of the trick of this show. This isn't a show that's just going to hand you everything that every Star Trek fan wants. I think to sort of tick it off a list and say, oh, yeah, this ship, this ship, this thing works like this. This character is like this. This character is a stand in for this. Here's the Spock character. Here's the, you know, it's not that kind of show and i'm kind of interested in the the mystery as it unfolds for the next uh 12 episodes and beyond see what i did chris there. i i do and that's it's very cute mm-hmm. i like what you did there um chris in the facebook chat room as well says that he thinks takuvma intentionally got burnham to kill the torchbearer to spark the war now this is actually a debate mm-hmm. that i was having with a friend of mine um if burnham had done what she was supposed to do she never would have actually had to try to mutiny or anything because she wouldn't have known what was coming. The last thing Giorgio said to her before she left was just a flyby. And the last thing Burnham said to her was just a flyby. And then when she got to the ship, she said, I'm going to step down to get a closer look. 
So it's hard to say that Takuma lured her into that because yeah. if she had done what she said she was going to do, which was fly by, first of all, she would have gone back not knowing it was a Klingon ship, but she also wouldn't have killed the torchbearer. Now, I still think Takuma was there to start a war, and so he would sure. have anyway. But um, to say that he tricked her into doing that, I don't think so because she did something that she expressly said she was not going to do, which was touch anything. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I agree with you there. I, I think it was, let, let's just call it a collection of circumstances that probably would have played out that way no matter what. Something would have yeah. happened, you know. Uh, Chuck asks, uh, were we surprised by the site-to-site transport in the Discovery? Yes. That was something we didn't see until, uh, yeah, until Next Gen. I'm a little shocked by that. Uh, and they almost never did it on Next Gen, did they? No, no, rarely, rarely. Um, yeah. Yeah, most of the time they would go to a transporter room. Um, you know, I, all we can chalk it up to is say, well, this is a different ship and run by a different captain, and they they do what works for them. may not be the same as it works on other ships, and uh, whether or not they need to justify that, well, that, that would be up to you. Les says, uh, why did they destroy the Glen? I assume because they didn't want it to fall into the wrong hands. Yep. I mean, Advan- leave advanced it technology is a prototype ship. Yeah. And they actually said that uh, they were at the edge of Klingon space. And so to leave it there would have just been, I mean, now I guess you could ask the question, why didn't they take it with them? <laughs> Which is not a bad question to ask. I mean, I assume that, you know, impulse uh, engines would have still worked. So they could have gotten that a little further away. Hey, I'm going to question for you, John. And it's a question that I would love it if somebody would, would actually uh, either call in or video in or whatever and answer this question. But at the very least, I'm going to ask you to think about it for a minute. Okay. Would. Um, Michael Burnham says at one point when Lorca's trying to talk her into staying, it is the principles of the United Federation of Planets that I live by or by which I live. And by them, I most certainly will die. Now, I'm not asking whether that's like, you know, foreshadowing to the fact that she's going to die doing something heroic. Mm-hmm. What I'm actually wondering is, can you make that work with her insistence that they fire first in the Battle of the Binary Stars? So I'm going to ask you to think about that, John. But I'm also going to remind people that coming up after our show, we would love it if you checked out a different show on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It is Priority One. Uh, they are actually recording live. Uh, they're supposed to start right around 11 Eastern, 8 Pacific, might be a few minutes later than that, like five minutes later than that, maybe. They've actually changed up their record time so that they can also uh, talk about Discovery. And um, they talk about a lot of other stuff, too. Uh, Elijah, Kenna, Tony, Winters, they, they do news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. Uh, sometimes it's about books. Uh, there's always something about games movies and tv you know stuff besides uh, the stuff that we're talking about here again they kick off around 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific every tuesday night live on facebook so when we're done here head over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast that is facebook.com slash priority one podcast and hey tell them mission log sent you (laughs) (laughs) and they'll say who (laughs) all right so so can you do that can you tell me like how do you, how does her like how does her like i'm i live and die by these principles even though i did yell at my captain for not firing first and oh yeah by the way i also tried to take over a ship yeah uh well before i answer that by the way i just have to mention that uh tim says i've listened to you all for years but i just tuned in tonight for live your beards 
make you even more distinguished on video. So thank you. Your voice is, of course, is still golden. Yeah, no, I grow, I grow my beard out longer for the audio show. Mm-hmm. Good, and then just trim it down every time. Trim it for live. Yeah, good. good. A lot of green screen work going on here. You wouldn't believe it. The, yeah. You think Saru is impressive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot right of CG here. going on right there. <laughs> There's a ton. Yeah. Oh, and latex, like you read about. Yeah, um, you, you know that's a good question. I mean, uh, why she thinks that she would die by those principles when she had violated those principles? Was it because the experience has so shaken her? She's one who said, "I think about it every day." all the time when she's confessing that to Saru. Um, Mm -hmm. Clearly those principles are important to her. Was it the, you know, we prefaced all that stuff with uh, her moments with Sarek and Sarek saying that it is her human heart that will get her into trouble. It it wasn't the the human tongue that was having the problem. It's her human heart. She's reliving that horror of, uh, uh, of her, uh, the, the colony that she was living on getting attacked by the Klingons. So you have to assume that that is also playing in her head as well, uh, even as an adult. Um, so it was an emotional response that she had that, uh, that made her act the way that she did, justified in some way by the, the logic of Sarek telling her what the Vulcans did to mm. uh, avoid a, a continuous war with the Klingons. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, she, wait, what's that? Well, that's actually the response that Marshall has in the uh, in the Facebook chat right now. That I mean, yeah. she actually did talk to Sarek, and so while well, you're saying it was a combination of emotion and logic, he's saying it was just you know 100% logic. The only problem and, is, well, I mean, once she actually once she actually knocks Joju unconscious, yeah, and comes out and does that, then I mean, I don't I don't know where we are at that point. I just found it interesting that well, well, remember she says, "I did this to save you," right. Well, what she actually said was that she thought that was more important than following the principles of Starfleet. Yeah, yeah. So, so. again, although she didn't say that it's by the principles of Starfleet she lived, she said it was by the principles of the Federation. And it was just weird because you and I came out of the last two episodes saying, I'm not sure whether what she did was right or wrong. And then she stood there today and said, I am I'm 100% right. And I'm, I'm on the side of good and I'm on the side of the good guys. And yet, I mean, it was, not, it was only six months ago in, in universe time. That we were like, yeah, I don't know. Did she, was that was that the thing? Was that the yeah. thing to do? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I she's uh, she's conflicted. I think she's a little bit troubled about um, I, I, not about the value of those principles, but uh, maybe her. Yeah, she has proven that she doesn't have the ability to necessarily live strictly by those principles. Captain Georgia was the one who said we will live strictly by these principles, and one of those principles is we don't shoot first. Um, and mm. she's absolutely and wholly dedicated to that proposition. Um, That's an interesting thing. And of course, now Burnham has had six months to wonder whether or not she did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's redoubled her efforts to live by those principles. Maybe. I got yeah. to throw in a comment, a comment, excuse me, from Facebook. And Penny, if I had whiskey, I'd be toasting you right this second. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying the show so far, but a thing that I'm missing about older track, and yes, that's true of modern serial TV, this is there's no way to examine the show in our typical messages, meanings, morals way on a per episode basis. It seems we'll have to get to the end before I know if I like it and what it all means. And and now you see, John, why I would I would totally raise a glass to Benny. We've had a we've had a yes. listener, and I can't remember who it is right this second. 
but we've had somebody saying they really want us to do the, the mission log treatment for every episode of Discovery. And okay, we could have done that for the first two episodes as one thing because they were one contained story. How do we get to the end of this and say, oh, I'm pretty sure that everything Lorca did was right because he brought a beast that killed Klingons onto his ship now. Right, <laughs> right. And I don't think it will only kill Klingons because it tried to kill Burnham, right? So, I mean, he's brought something really scary onto the ship and we can't get to the end of the, uh, we can't get to the end of, of a serialized episode and say, wow, so let's decide things about it. Um, it is interesting because it's going to get us that much more into the characters. It's going to get us that much more into the story. We're going to have to be more invested than we were if we're going to watch the whole thing. At the same time, Penny, I do miss, I do miss the 45 minute morality tale. And I, like you, I'm hoping that, uh, that the long arc is going to be uh, worth it because, you know, we're on this track. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully we like where we're going. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, you, you and I really struggled with this idea of how to handle discovery when it came out and uh, trying to determine if we were going to do the mission log treatment. And the more and more we heard about the show, we just decided we couldn't, that we had to do something different. But what we can do is what we're doing here, the sort of mini examination of the moments that give us questions about morals, meanings, messages, and the and the rather complicated ethics that they're exploring. That's the thing. You know, I, I go back to that question that you asked Larry earlier uh, in the show, uh, which is, you know, what do we make of Michael? And then I, I asked him, what do we make of this being Trek? Well, yeah, Star Trek in a 45-minute episode would propose a moral question, often, not always, but often propose a moral question, explore it, and then kind of wrap it up at the end, sometimes very neatly, sometimes very ambiguously. Um, this is a series that is still exploring the same ethical moral grounds, but it's not going to hand us a neat, tied-up answer at the end of 45 minutes. It's just not, you know? Yeah. But I, I think and I hope that by the time we get to the end of that 15 episodes, we will have definitely been on a journey with those characters and seen all the nuances of those moral, ethical decisions that they make all along and come to a determination, well, are they getting to a point that is that better humanity that you and I like to explore in our show through Star Trek? Of course, as Discovery um, examines that, we'll be examining Discovery. I really appreciate everybody who tuned in live tonight. Um, I would love it if two or three of you like practiced for next week and gave us a call because we're here taking calls live every week. And um, of course, we'll remind you next week how to do that. In the meantime, I do want to let you know that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest uh, that the Roddenberry Podcast Network has to offer. Not just Mission Log, not just Mission Log Live, but Women at Warp and Priority One. And don't forget, they go live here in about five over ten minutes. Facebook.com slash Mission Log, uh, excuse me, Priority One Podcast. My apologies. And we would again like to thank uh, Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this show. Discovery Ships, John. Discovery is like two weeks old and they've got Discovery Ships. They're coming. They're coming in January 2018. And you can find out all about it at EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Talk to you next week. 